You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Amanda Lane. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. Now, let's meet Midway. Thanks for joining at Midway United Methodist Church this morning. I'm so glad to see you here today, each one of you. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're watching us online, welcome to you too. It's, uh, it's great to, 
to have you with us uh, this morning. And uh, uh, don't forget to sign up. If you um, uh, take, uh, mark your attendance there on the website, and, uh, on, the, on the app, and there is a, a member guest bed there in the back, uh, in the sanctuary. And also, uh, I'd, like to have a, uh, I'd like to give you two, uh, there are two announcements this morning for you. And uh, one is we'll have the Cinco de Mayo Fiesta this afternoon from 6 to 7.30, right, uh, for the youth group. Also, the fourth and fifth graders are invited to come. And uh, don't forget uh, to send us a picture uh, with, uh, with you and your mom because we're, we're preparing a, a very nice presentation for next week for Mother's Day. So uh, you can send it to communications at midwayumc.org. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for the opportunity we have, Lord, to come here and worship your name with our brothers and sisters. Thank you for the, the freedom we have, Lord, to worship you. Lord, we, uh, we ask you that you, uh, you manifest your Holy Spirit among us this morning. We, wanna, we want not only to, to feel your presence, but we, we want to see you move among us. So, we, Lord, we, pr- we pray, Lord, that you, uh, you, you guide us in worshiping your name this morning because we, we want to worship you the way you want to be worshipped. This is for you, Lord, not for us. This is for us to, to, to show how much we love you and how much we, uh, we, um, we want to be with you uh, every day of our lives, Lord. So we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.
The rush of Easter is over. The excitement which carried us to Easter and to the room where Jesus appeared to the disciples is wearing off. We just aren't sure what to do now that the journey to the cross is completed. Help us to understand that the cross is not our ending point, but rather the turning point. Help us to be people of astounding faith who have seen the light of resurrection, who know that you have conquered death. Fear cannot claim and bind us. You have released us to serve others and witness to the glorious good news as we have brought the names of those near and dear to us to you in prayer. Lord, help us to feel the rejuvenating power of your love in our lives. Inspire us to move into compassionate ministries to your world. For we ask these things in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. And now we unite our voices as one to pray the prayer that unites us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now my privilege to invite our children to come forward for the children's sermon with Miss Tiffany.
Good morning. Good morning. All right. So does anyone, everyone take a look. Does anyone know what this is? What is it? A transformer. It is a transformer. And you know what this, what a transformer does? Does anyone know? It changes. It's a truck, but then it can change into a robot, right? It's really cool. So who is the transformer in our life? God. Jesus is the transformer in our life, huh? So today we are going to talk about someone who was transformed by Jesus. So there was a man. His name was Saul. And guess what? He did not like Jesus. He did not like people who followed Jesus. And you know what he wanted to do with all of them? Does anyone know? Arrest them. That's exactly right, Charlie. He wanted to arrest them. So he was on his way to a place called Damascus. And he was going to arrest all of the people who followed Jesus. And a bright light shone. And he heard a voice. And the voice asked, why was he persecuting him. And he said, who is this Lord? And of course the Lord said, I'm Jesus. That's right. And you know what happened to Saul? He went blind. He couldn't see anything. And so he told him to go ahead and go to Damascus. And then he would, when he got there, he would, he, he would show him what to do. So he got there and there was a man there named um, Ananias who went to, went, to, went to Saul and told him that, of course, that God wanted him to follow him. Jesus wanted to follow him, him to follow Jesus. And you know what he did? He touched him, and guess what happened? He healed him. It healed him. His, they said it, it fell off of his eyes like scales did, and he could see again. And after that, he was transformed. And guess what? He even got a new name. He went from Saul to Paul. And from that day on, you know what he did? He led people to Christ. He led people and taught them what Jesus taught. And that, so that was a huge change, right? He went from wanting to put people that followed Jesus in jail to wanting to teach people about Jesus. So he truly transformed him, right? So what should we want Jesus to do? We want him to transform us, right? Like this transformer. And to make us the best version of ourselves that we can be, right? All right, so everyone, I want you to bow your heads and let's say a prayer, okay? Dear Jesus, please help me to be transformed into who you'd have me to be. Thank you for being the ultimate transformer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys us so we can finish our Mother's Day surprises. We have an opportunity to worship God with our tithes and offerings, with the gifts that God has given us. At each of the doors, you'll notice an offering plate. You can place any financial giving there, or you can give online. Let us worship God with our gifts, our tithes, and our very lives.
Happy Easter. Even though the Easter lilies have vacated the premises, we're still very much in the midst of Easter. You know, the Easter season lasts for 50 days from Easter Sunday until the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, a word that means 50th. So we don't roll the stone back after Easter Sunday. Instead, uh, we continue to rejoice and to reflect on what it means for us as the church to be an Easter people. Today we begin a month-long series on readings from the book of Acts entitled, We Are Witnesses. Specifically, we are witnesses uh, to the risen Christ. Here in Luke's second volume, his first volume being his gospel, is his dramatic record of the early church and those witnesses who were key players in its mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Our scripture lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Acts, the ninth chapter, beginning with the first 11 verses and then skipping over to verse 17 through 20. Hear now God's word to us this day. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, 
He is the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What do you think of when you hear the word conversion? I'm not talking about football here. It means one thing in football. It means another thing in medicine that's too complicated for me to explain. But in a spiritual sense, what does conversion mean? What do you think of? You know, how we understand conversion may vary greatly depending on our religious background and faith experiences. Literally, you know, conversion means to turn around. That is like the sinner turning toward God. It, it means, as, as Tiffany said, to transform. How conversion occurs, though, is, you know, unique to each person, as unique as their relationship is to God. Generally, though, we, we think about it as happening in, in one of two ways. For some Christians, conversion is a sudden and dramatic event in which someone is said to be born again in an instant. In this case, the believer can cite the very time and place when God took hold of them and they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As Methodists, we will often point to John Wesley's experience of having his heart strangely warmed at a meeting at Aldersgate Street as one such example. Other Christians may speak of their conversion in terms of a gradual transformation of heart and mind over time. Often, this typifies the life of someone who grew up in the church and was raised in a Christian family. They may not be able to point to one dramatic experience, but rather to a number of turning points over the course of their life. Each experience playing a part in their growth and grace and their likeness in Christ as they walk daily with the Lord. For them, there was no lightning bolt experience that they can point to, which might make them feel a little sheepish when someone directly asks them, when were you saved? As if, if you can't point to a specific moment, then somehow your salvation is lacking. Acts provides us a number of accounts of conversions. And none of these are intended to be normative. In fact, the variety speaks to the fact that there are as many different ways of our converting encounters with God as there are people. The conversions Luke writes about also make it clear that God is the chief actor in bringing about conversion. It's not something that we do. Perhaps the best known and most dramatic conversion in the book of Acts 
is Paul's. The story of Paul's conversion is, is so famous that even those who've never read the Bible may understand the meaning of the term a Damascus Road experience or at least be familiar to, enough to know that Blinded by the Light did not originate with the 70s hit song. The first time we are introduced to Paul is in Acts 7. Here he's referred to by his Hebrew name Saul instead of his Latin name Paul. Here he plays a minor role at the execution of Stephen, serving as a coat checker for those who are witnessing the execution of the first Christian martyr. That is the last time that Paul will play a minor role in anything. Within the span of a couple chapters, he goes from being an approving bystander at Stephen's execution to the lead persecutor of the church. It's an alarming picture that, that Paul paints for us because Luke tell, I mean that Luke paints for us. He tells us that Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women and committing them to prison. That is an alarming picture. You know, it's akin to the news stories we are seeing right now where Russian soldiers will go into the bombed-out apartments of Ukrainians and drag them off to who knows what kind of fate. You know, if anyone would have been chosen most likely to succeed of his graduating class, it would be Paul. He had everything going for him in both the Jewish and the Roman worlds. He was by birth both a Jew and a Roman citizen. He was a Hebrew Blue blood, blue blood, easy for me to say, blue blood. He was also a religious lawyer, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had an Ivy League level education, and he was schooled in philosophy and skilled in debate. He was fluent in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. In other words, Paul was Phi Beta Kappa, Summa Cum Laude, Harvard Law. He was the cream of the crop, impeccable credentials. Yes, Paul was a young man who was going places. In fact, he was such an overachiever that persecuting a church in Jerusalem wasn't enough to satisfy his thirst for success still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Paul seeks permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to go in search of more Christians to harass and to haul back in chains to Jerusalem. So with letter of introduction and hand to the synagogues in Syria, he takes off on a 150-mile business trip to Damascus just to get a few more notches in his belt. While on his way, though, to fulfill his 
murderous search and destroy mission of the people of the way, which is how the church referred to itself in the early days. Paul is knocked off his feet by a blinding light from heaven. You know, the southern writer Flannery O'Connor once said about Paul that she reckoned the Lord knew that the only way to make a Christian out of that one was to knock himself off his horse. Of course, we know that there is no horse in that scripture, but you get her point. If God wanted to get the attention of a know-it-all like Paul, God was going to have to do something dramatic, almost pyrotechnic. No still, small voice would do the job. When the Lord speaks out of the blinding light, he does so in a voice loud enough that even the men who are accompanying Paul can hear what is said. Wouldn't it be nice if when God spoke to us, he spoke loud enough that not only we could hear, but also an audience could hear? Then we would have somebody to back us up when people start giving us sideway glances when they wonder what's happened to us when we be transformed by the Spirit. Saul, Saul, the voice calls, like Abraham, Jacob, and Moses before him, the double address is a clue that a divine call is in the offing. Paul's mission to preserve the Jewish faith is by force is now about to go off course. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Evidently, Christ is so close to his followers that to persecute Christians is the same as persecuting Jesus himself, which is something we do well to remember when we are tempted to go after another believer. Who are you, Lord? asked Paul. Lord here is not an indication of allegiance like when we say our my lord it's a term of polite address like saying sir to a gentleman jesus is not yet paul's lord i am jesus whom you are persecuting but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do this is a defining moment for paul it's a conversion and call all wrapped up in one. As one commentator put it, the voice quickly moves from accusation to commission, indicating that this story is not simply about conversion, but also about vocation. Like other biblical heroes, Paul's conversion is tied up with his call. After three days without any light in his eyes or food in his stomach, Ananias lays hands on Paul. And he goes from being enemy number one of the church to the church's foremost spokesperson 
in the Roman world. This is why Luke places Paul's conversion where he does. After the conversion of some Samaritans and an Ethiopian and before the conversion of a Roman centurion. You see, with each conversion, we are being taken further and further away from the church's point of origin in Jerusalem as the gospel mission takes off like wildfire, spreading across the map of the Roman world with Paul leading the way. You know, few people's call is as sudden and as dramatic as Paul's. If only God would always speak in a voice loud enough for us to hear over the noise of the ubiquitous voices of our day, not to mention our own confused and scattered thoughts. If only God would call our name, knock us off our feet, and blind us with the revelation of the living Christ, and then send an Ananias to lay hands on us so that the scales would fall from our eyes and the Spirit would come upon us. You know, it really helps if, if there's an experience we can point to and say, that's when I was called by God. It was clear as day. God hit me square between the eyes and he called me by name twice. Maybe you've had a Damascus Road experience. I know quite a few of you have been turned around in a dramatic way from your experience on the walk to Emmaus. For others, your conversion may be more akin to the experience of C.S. Lewis. Lewis was probably the chief Christian apologist of the last century, yet his conversion was hardly anything to write home about. He came to belief in God, not on a church retreat, not in a worship service, but in his room at Oxford. You must picture me, he wrote, alone in that room in Magdalen College, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility, which will accept the convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who has brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? 
Lewis' experience highlights that it is God who acts to bring about conversion. Lest any of us take any undue credit for the mysterious workings of God to woo us to him. Though Lewis then had come to a belief in God, he had not yet come to an acceptance of Christ as the Son of God. Like Paul, it happened while he was on the road somewhere, but it was far from a lightning bolt experience. It was on a sunny morning in September 1931 as Lewis was riding in, of all places, a motorcycle sidecar on the way to the Whipsnade Zoo. Will Willimon says that it has always struck him as the most ridiculous of situations for a religious conversion. Stodgy C.S. Lewis bobbing along in a sidecar on the way to a second-rate zoo. At least, says Willimon, St. Paul was on the road somewhere going to do an important business. Yet at the crucial moment, Lewis wrote, When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. You know, Midway has four members that have, uh, are not here on Sunday because of the last few years they've left to go into full-time Christian ministry elsewhere. And I know of another two who are in college preparing themselves to follow God's call into ministry. You know, this says a lot about this church. Because if you want to know if a church is alive, look for those who are being obedient to God's call, going in a direction not of their own choosing, much like Ananias did when he followed God's command to get up and go to the persecutor Paul when it seemed like the most foolhardiest thing to do. Most people, though, aren't called by God, you know, to leave their day job and take a pay cut to go into some kind of full-time Christian ministry. We are about the priesthood of all believers. The call, our, each of our call, is our vocation. It's our vocation, not our occupation. Paul made his living as a tent maker, but his passion was preaching the gospel, telling others of the good news of the risen Christ. You know, there was a man who came to Midway a couple of years ago, and he came here, first of all, by volunteering in Meals by Grace, and then he came to worship. I'll call him Lee because that's his name. Like Paul, Lee is someone with impeccable credentials. Lee graduated from Emory University and then got a degree from Emory Medical School. He later would go and get another graduate degree in 
uh, Hospital Administration. He now serves as the Chief Executive Officer of the largest healthcare network in our state. Well, Lee started reading the Bible, and it seems that the more he read, the more passionate he became. He felt then a call to teach others the Bible. So naturally, he applied to seminary. Mind you, he's not going to go to school to become an ordained minister. Lee's going to seminary because he wants to be the best Bible teacher that he can be for the church. He's going to teach, not as a profession, but as a vocation. Teaching is his call. Conversion, my brothers and sisters, is a process more than it is a moment. It's the beginning of the Christian journey, not the destination. We see this in Paul, whose journey with Christ was just beginning, a journey that would take him down roads and detours that he never could have anticipated, ones that would include beatings and imprisonment and death. Will Willimon says that the, the gospel is so demanding that only a lifetime of conversion can change us into the new creations that God intends for us to be. We never become too old, too adept at living the Christian life to be exempt from the need for more conversion, additional turning. Lee Strobel was an atheist with a law degree from Yale working as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune when his wife had a conversion experience. Her experience led him to begin investigating biblical claims about Christ and eventually this search led him to being converted to Christianity. Strobel says the greatest assurance of his conversion came not at the moment of decision, but months later when his five-year-old daughter went to her mother and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what God's done for Daddy. Strobel's daughter knew no arguments in favor, for, or against the Christian faith. She simply observed that her daddy had changed. And she said, if God can do that for my daddy, I want God to do that for me. My brothers and sisters, whether the hound of heaven knocked you off your feet, in a sudden moment, or has quietly wooed you turn by turn over many years. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is a God who is in the business of conversion, transforming us from people following paths of our own choosing 
to followers of the way, the only way that leads to life abundant and eternal. And if you're here today, my friend, and if you have yet to experience conversion, know this. The promise of Easter is that you will. It might even happen at this table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lift up your hearts and give thanks to God. Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. And in Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead the same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory. And poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and may be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood until Christ come in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, In Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. As you prepare to receive communion this morning, I'd like to remind you this is an open table. You need not be a member of this church or this denomination. All that is needed is a repentant heart and a desire to lead a new life in Christ. This morning we will be receiving communion at the altar rail, so if you will please come at the direction of the ushers. Uh, Kneel as you're able. If you have bad knees, please do not feel. You have to kneel. It's perfectly acceptable to stand. Um, But this is our Lord's table, and he invites you to come.
How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. I want to thank you for your presence here today. Now may God go before you to guide you. May God go behind you to direct you. May God go beside you to befriend you. May God rest above you to protect you. May God rest below you to uphold you. And may God dwell within you to comfort you now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.